of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 310. Jason Lingren is with me, and Dr. Tim Bender is with us. We will be covering a broad set of ideas, but to put it in a nutshell, we'll say healing modalities and how the universe functions. And by the way, Dr. Bender sits on the board of Walter Russell Concerns, which are near and dear to my heart. Welcome, Jason. And good afternoon. So I think we feel like spring here. I'm almost 70 degrees today, so the garden's up next. And you've got rose bushes. <laughs> I did tackle my, uh, I guess those rose bushes are older than I am, but uh, we got anything or should we just jump in? Now let's jump. Welcome, Dr. Bender. Thank you, Crow. I'm uh, very happy to be on the show and uh, to talk to you and your audience, and I'm looking forward to this. So let's just give people a little bit about your background. Um, I'm calling you doctor. Can you inform people about that side of your life? Certainly. I went through three schools of uh, what I call real medicine. (laughs) I went through uh, Western States Chiropractic College in Portland, Oregon. I also went through the National College of Naturopathic Medicine that was in Portland, Oregon. And at that time was the only four-year in-residence training school in natural medicine, I think, in the world, at least in the United States. And I also went through the North American College of Acupuncture way before there were any licensing laws in the United States or any schools. So I had to, I went to China for clinical training, and that was way back in, oh, about 1975, something like that. So that's my curriculum vitae from the uh, alternate, most people call it, I call it the real medicine side. And we would agree with you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we're, we're happy when we don't hear the words allopathy. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start um, at kind of a, uh, I'm going to ask an initial question, which has far reaching implications here, uh, not only for people from my point of view that practice healing in any level, uh, but also for the people interested in alchemy out there. So I'll ask this simple question to get us started. Is it possible to reach the peak of healing as a healing practitioner without understanding how the universe functions? Well, I don't think so. I think uh, until we really understand how the universe functions, we have beliefs, but our beliefs may have no correspondence whatsoever to what's real, reality. And when we see reality, all of our beliefs fade away for what's really real. In other words, if you get rid of your, if you see through, if you realize that you've been programmed all your life into your beliefs and your belief structure, it's like when you're born into an, a culture, a religion, whatever, those are programs that are put into you. When you start to realize you've been programmed and you say, hey, I want to know what's reality, and you start to question all of your beliefs and you shatter them, what's left over is going to be reality. That's kind of a paraphrase, I think, of Philip K. Dick in uh, one of his quotes a long time ago where he said something about when you lose all belief, what's left is reality. While you're hitting the things that Jason and I uh, hold near and dear to our heart, although I don't know if Philip K. Dick was a man or a myth or a legend, uh, what he left behind is his writings uh, are certainly thought-provoking. But let's just let's jump right into the crux of things here. Uh, from your point of view, does matter create consciousness or does consciousness create matter or is it something else altogether? Well, in one sense, it's a little bit of both, but ultimately I would say consciousness creates matter. And since we are, most of our awareness, we're only aware of our senses, our sense body awareness. We haven't risen above and beyond our senses. So in that sense, matter is certainly affecting our consciousness, but it still hasn't cre- doesn't create it. Consciousness creates everything. And I'll use a, I think it's a quote from the Bible, in the beginning was the void. Well, what does void mean? It means no motion, no frequency, no vibration, which is movement, no sound. And because sound is movement, it's frequency, it's vibration. So there was, in the beginning was the void. That's nothing. Other than that, nothing simply means when we say something is nothing in this, in our sense body awareness world, uh, it's really a change of state and place. 
like I've got something in my hand and I throw it away and they'll say there's nothing there. I changed its state because it's in a different pressure zone. If I throw it, it goes down. That's a more pressure zone. If I throw it up, it's less pressure zone. And its place is different. So when God spoke, the universe appeared. And I've just solved the old riddle wrapped in an enigma, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And I always tell people, they both came at the same time. God spoke, and everything was created instantly, the chicken and the egg. And that puts a whole other spin on what's evolution? <laughs> what's devolution? So uh, I, I love the way you laid that down. So basically, you started with the void, which I believe would be a reference to the Old Testament book of Genesis. And yes. then you jumped up to my favorite gospel, the book of John. And the opening of the book of John is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Yep. And the ideas you expressed, they're critically important ideas for me all the way back to when I was young and didn't understand what they meant up to when I started to get <laughs> older and related all. And this could maybe bring us a little bit around to Russell, because when I first got the Universal One, what struck me immediately was here's a man from the West that thinks like I do in the West, that speaks like I do in the West, but he's agreeing with all these other philosophies and ways of thinking about where we are from Buddhism to ancient Indian to Hinduism to, you know, Zen to all of it. I could instantly make the corollary so why don't we jump over to, to Russell, unless you want to further the idea we were expressing? Well, I'll further the idea with Russell. And I would say, I agree with everything you said. And I would say what Russell did and has done in his work was like a, another turn on a spiral. Because time and space always move spiralically. And he just brought into his time and our time and space a new look at this. And what, how he expressed the void, I'll, I'll quote him. He said, all things spring from the inertial plane and return to the inertial plane to then be born again as their opposite. Well, what's the inertial plane? The inertial plane in his cosmogony is the void. That's where all possibility exists. All energy, anything you can possibly think of or conceive of, it's all there in, in the inertial plane, which would be the void, which in language mechanics, I would say, is the one. And the many is the uh, yin-yang dialectic. It's all the, the opposites. Whenever, when God spoke and created, instantly there was a division. A division means a yin and a yang. And in Russell's terms, it would be either in a compressed or a vacuous form. You've got the piston pump, which is actually sex in motion, that's the creation of the whole universe. Sex is the division, division into male and female. So Russell expressed the void and this whole concept as a new part of the spiral in uh, giving us more enriched meaning of what is the void and uh, what is nothing. Well, if I follow you correctly, the way that you're describing Russell's cosmogony of the void makes me think in a different way than I'm, when I'm reading the Genesis. Because when I read the Genesis void, in my mind, I'm thinking no thing. But if I'm following you correctly, and I have read many of the works of Russell, the void has all possibilities in it. And would that reside at the tiny end of the spiral or at the large end of the spiral? Well, the void has everything in it as one, not expressed in our 3D reality not in any divisive state. So the one really has all, it's like in language mechanics, all three aspects, all three words, all three concepts, you might say, because we think in words, concepts, all of them are real at the same time. That's where in our Western mind, it's, it seems like a, uh, that it, how can this be? How can you have a, the one real, the many will and relationship real all at the same time. Well, they're all there in the one. And the one, until it expresses the relationship and division, the many, they're unexpressed. They're just in the one. Does that make any sense? It does, but I have to ask the follow-up question from where we started then. So it is consciousness that brings these possibilities into existence. Is that right? You bet. That's where I said, yes, ultimately. Consciousness creates everything. And we, 
we were created, well, right out of the Bible, even as co-creators, even Jesus said, the works that I do, you can do an even greater. We were created to be co-creators with the one, the universal one, God by any name. And when we realized who we are, we lost our awareness, and that's a real deep uh, rabbit hole to go down and a very interesting one, the fall of man, which all, virtually all religions have some form of that. How did we end up here? You know, who are we, how, why are we, and uh, where are we? And Russell goes into that in all of his uh, writings, especially in the Divine Iliad. He's got books of, uh, who am I? You were expressing a thought when I kind of rudely interrupted you there, but we were beginning to get into ideas of the fall. And I have been beyond fascinated with the idea of the fall since I was too young to understand anything about it to the point where I am now that I don't think there's any denying uh, that human consciousness has been in a free fall for Lord knows how long. Yeah. Like, well, I always say, I look at it this way. Yeah. The fall, what was the fall? And I would say the fall is self-deception. In other words, we all bit the apple. It wasn't just Eve. And what is deception but non-reality? It's craziness. It's insanity. It's also a lie. And in all the world's religions, they have some form of a devil. And in the Judeo-Christian religion, the books of the Bible, it speaks of the devil as the father of all lies. So the most deceived of all, who can't speak, turns everything upside down, inside out, inverts everything, inverts reality. And I say, well, if you want to look at a devil, look in the mirror. <laughs> and we all do have a, a devil on one side and an angel on the other, and it's our job to start listening more to the angel and not the devil. You know, and, just, just to add a thought, because I know a lot of people have brought this up lately, there's an old 80s movie called Dark Crystal which is expressing exactly what Dr. Binder is laying down. You got these evil things going on and these old sage, nice guys. And in the end, it turns out they're just two sides of the same coin. Well, back to the fall. And I'd also liken the fall of humanity, because I can really relate to this, and I'll bet you you can too. <laughs> uh, it's like a bunch of us, and I, maybe I'm taking this from Edgar Casey. It's like a bunch of us wanted to know what it was like to sail a ship through a hurricane. <laughs> so we said, yeah, I think, and I think this may be, be from Casey again, like in the beginning, I think, wherever I'm getting this thought, the creator threw out countless sparks, which were our, us, us, our souls. And we could roam the universe at will. And I would say, okay, we have a body. All bodies are sexed. Because the division automatically puts you in a body which has a pressure condition that's either more or less male or female. So we could roam the universe at will. And uh, we saw these animals, say, on planet Earth. And we saw, what's an animal do? Mostly they eat, they sleep, and they reproduce. And we thought, well, that looks kind of interesting, especially that sex part. <laughs> and we started hovering closer and closer to feel what the animals were feeling, feel, not think or know, but feel it. And eventually got in the bodies to really feel it and forgot who we were. And then along the way, there were higher beings that said, we got to help these fallen beings regain their divine estate. We have to create a finer body than these animal bodies they're in. We're going to create an animal body, but it's going to be much finer created the human being. And we have a different body to function through. And we've had the ability to procreate whenever we want. Animals are controlled by instinct. And if we don't, it's mostly males in our world culture, don't learn to control our sexual appetite. We will be controlled. And it's happening right now. The men are all becoming sterile and impotent. And there's lots of reasons for it. But even just the um, misuse of sex energy can create this. So I would say also the fall was self-deception and it lies between your legs. <laughs> it's sex. 
Well, there is a big deal going on here with the sexuality, that's for sure. The bad guys are using all the mainstream entertainment properties and all that just to completely blur the lines and screw everything up. You want to talk about control, there it is. You bet. Walter Russell wrote, well, it's part of the Divine Iliad. And all those two books, volumes one and two of the Divine Iliad, the scientific explanation of sex. And he talks about how sex energy certainly all of us at this stage of our evolution, we need to come in contact with, find a balanced sex mate, which means the opposite sex for you, not the same. That's a degeneration and a further degeneration of your sexual polarity. And through sex interchange and physical sex interchange with a balanced sexual mate, you both then lose that imbalanced condition for a moment, and you have an ecstasy, the orgasm, and you then recreate yourself so that you can recreate and recreate new creations. Whereas if you become, if you're gay or lesbian, you're actually discharging yourself, discharging, 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 and losing your polarized nature. And in that sense, uh, it shows you how, yes, what is happening here, the whole LBG, transgender, that whole thing carried to insanity, is a cessation of all life, of what the creator even created the whole universe to function on sex. And there, this is the devil turning everything upside down, inside out, and backwards, inverting reality. Couldn't you say the same thing about masturbation? Wouldn't that be a similar idea? Because you're, you're still dividing polarity? Yes, you are. You're dissipating that energy. And I always say, I wished I would have understood these concepts at a very young age. And I would add to that, besides the writings of Walter Russell from the Divine Iliad, scientific explanation of sex, I would have also liked to have come across the ancients and all the ancient traditions I've studied, even in my medicine, all Chinese medicine, certainly, Qigong my martial arts studies, Aikido, the way of the life force, all of that has to do with sex energy too. And the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, Patanjali, he describes all of the chakras, which are spinning wheels in the East, and uh, they were connected with the spine. This is real important, and this is where I feel the spine, we need to be able to have an erect spine, which is straight, and they're, but at the same time, very flexible, capable of going into all kinds of curves. But the spine is connected with the chakras. And in the West, though modern endocrinology doesn't realize this, but all the endocrine glands are connected. They are part of the chakra system with the spine. And in the East, they didn't speak of the glands as such. They did relate it to the spine and the spinning wheels, the spinning, the, the chakra means a spinning wheel. and when you see that they're all related to the glands as well, then there are, in the Yoga Sutras, each of the chakras has powers. All those powers are being expressed in all of us, but very, very in attenuated forms. There's all kinds of powers latent within each of the chakras. For instance, in the second chakra, I believe it is, uh, it also has, uh, that is sexual chakra, sex energy, but it also has the ability for people to fly, <laughs> levitate, not be bound by gravity. And there is a bija, which means seed, mantra, word, that if you wish to develop the latent powers in the chakra, in your endocrine gland spinal system, then you can concentrate, focus, and repeat that bija mantra over and over to release these latent powers. So I took off on a bit of a tangent there, but also trying to express that sex energy is creative energy. And to stunt that, to stop it, and ultimately, of course, if you take just gay, lesbian, take it to the nth degree, there'd be no more people. <laughs> right. You know, I have a feeling I'm going to get so many emails, but people are going to have to grow up at some point. Um, it's a point of view. There's no hatred. But let's pull this back around uh, as a reminder to where I came through the sky clock in recent years. Mm -hmm. I got to the point where I could see that the Zodiac had been changed and it was undeniable. 
Um, I went to the oldest library, one of the oldest in the country. I got a, a star map from that time and the vestiges mm. were still, you could still find the vestiges of the change in or around the scales of Libra. And so I mistakenly went on a path for a while saying, how can any of this be useful in any way? It's been changed beyond comprehension. And then as I dug and dug and dug, as usually happens, I found that it's openly remembered in some places that we came from a 10 sign zodiac and that what was added was basically what is now Virgo or that portion divided into three, bringing in the scales, which is a tiny little thing and adding in the scorpion, which is a bipolar sign. It has the lowly scorpion idea. And when it's gone through maybe the Phoenix idea, um, rebirth through destruction, uh, the lofty eagle, which is all about sexual energy. In other words, the entirety of the change of the Zodiac for our era, what we have to work out where we currently exist, has to do with sex, starting with the idea of the virgin, going through the balance, which literally can be taken to mean balance, down into the scorpion, which always represents on the human body the regenerative organs or the genitalia. And I would remind people that even in languages that still exist today, like French, the orgasm is referred to as the little death. There are also some references to the scorpion sting. And of course, there's a correlation where it's always been said if you put a scorpion in a circle of fire, when he figures he can't get out, he'll sting himself to death. But in all the biblical accounts, the scorpion was never encoded. It was always the lofty eagle. And Dr. Binder, I'm sorry to have done such a long-winded explanation, but I wanted to tie this to things we've covered in the past. Well, that was wonderful review for what I remember hearing, maybe from, from you in, in the past somewhere, and uh, haven't really absorbed it in, in depth like you have. So it was wonderful to hear it. And yeah, the sex energy transmutation and like Russell says, in as people age, your sexual mate, the balancing that you get through each other, when you're younger, you, you definitely need the sexual, physical aspect. And, uh, and then more as you mature the mental and in the last, the spiritual. So it's really having a spiritual mate to complement you in the spiritual aspect more than even the physical at that point. A soulmate, right? A soulmate. He also said that if you try, say, when you're young and you haven't evolved, I will put in there. I think he more or less later makes it implicit, if not explicit, that if you try and sublimate that sexual energy, you may end up becoming an echinoclast. And I had to look up what is the meaning of an echinoclast <laughs> when I read that again and forgotten. That's somebody who goes around just breaking all old tradition with not really any deep thought on do I should I break this or do I need to just explain it better? <laughs> and uh, he said you can become a, a you know a rabid reformer and an iconoclast. So an iconoclast is a type of a reformer that's really uh, trying to reform something in, in not a, an effective way. So that makes sense and, and I think fits with what you were saying about sexuality. And yes, definitely, this isn't about hate at all. It's just no. about Hey, we're all in these sex bodies. What do we do with it? Well, we're, we're all in this together and we're not singling anything out, but it's also a truth that if you were addicted to masturbation, uh, which is probably far more predominant than any yes. sexual orientation is right now, um, that's a fair assessment. And it's not aimed at anyone. I, I don't think there's anyone out there in the world that can claim they've never masturbated. If there is, I haven't met them. Yeah. To grow up to a point to be able to point it out, is kind of a big deal, but this makes me, before I get Jason in here, this makes me recall, I spent years looking at different versions of Buddhism and the older Indian and Hindu ideas because I fell in love with the idea that all life mattered. And it was such an in integral part to all those teachings. And I felt like it was missing from the teachings where I had grown up, but I had read so much about these supposed masters reaching for enlightenment to escape the cycles of hardship and necessity. And back then it was claimed, if you get on the path now and you become a master, maybe in four, five, six lives, 
you might be able to escape this place. Then, as I kept studying, there were different sects. Like one was Tantra, which of course the West got a hold of and made it as evil as anything to be. But the I, one of the ideas was to harness the sexual energy, requiring a man and a female that are basically, in a way, soulmates, to try to speed the escape from the cycles of hardship and necessity or rebirth. And they did it through different tantrics. And some of this stuff gets pretty hardcore for the average person who doesn't understand at least some of the backstory. But these ideas are nothing new. As a matter of fact, there was a time when it was so well understood, they were actually looking for paths and modalities to deal with the problem. Yeah. Well, you said it again, wonderful, wonderful information. The last thing I'd say with masturbation is, yeah, even I've seen um, x-rays or sonars, at least, of babies in the womb, male babies, grabbing their their genitals and stroking them. And I've always figured, yeah, what, this is where I, like, I wished I would have learned this as a young person. There are practices that anybody can do uh, with that energy. And one of them is, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll describe it. It's pretty simple. Put your hands on your knees with your back straight, your, your legs are bent slightly, and breathe. If you have sex energy that wants to be expressed, you blow it all out and contract all your sphincters and do that three times. And each time you contract the sphincters, send that energy, visualize it going from your genitals up your spine into your third eye. And you're pulling your abdomen in as well as contracting all of your sphincters, you're contracting your belly and pushing all that energy up. And I will definitely tell any man, he will instantly feel himself going limp. And it may not last long, <laughs> but it will do it. And then I'd say to, this is where you need to find a, a balanced sex mate so that you don't end up being succumbing to masturbation, which is, again, just you're dissipating all that energy. It takes a lot of energy to create an egg and to create sperm. Well, we just we had a guest on. As a matter of fact, we're about to have him on again, who took things like selenium, um, showing that many young men are completely deficient in selenium from over-masturbation. But let's switch gears here. Sure. Um, I feel like I'm riding the line for what's going to run in public here. Uh, I don't know if people are ready for it. It is an honest assessment, but Jason and I had actual plans to cover what's called the Flexner report. Um, mm -hmm. Jason, do you mm -hmm. recall, uh, was it agent J someone recently put it back on our radar? Do you recall who it was, Jason? Jessica. It was Jessica. Mm -hmm. Okay. So anyhow, I noticed that in the bullets, we had ideas about JD Rockefeller and the Flexner Report. And this is such a kind of one of those integral things where everything before this was one way and everything after it was another. Can we get into to what the Flexner Report is and what it did? Sure, I can tell you what I remember of it. And I first learned of it when I first went off to my medical trainings. And I think uh, the first one was chiropractic. I and mean, I heard about the Flexner Report then. And in 1905, he commissioned Abraham Flexner, and I, his background, who he was, would be interesting to go into, and I don't have enough memory storage there to remember it. But anyhow, he was commissioned, to tra and it took him five years to travel all around the United States, and most of the time he was doing it by horseback, because we had very few cars. We did have trains, but most transportation around the country would be by horse. So it took him five years, and he was he was to go and study all methods of healing, everything from, uh, say, uh, herbalists to uh, there were chiropractors then, there were osteopaths, there were homeopaths, there were faith healers, uh, there were you know all kinds of spiritual healers and faith healers. So every possible type of healing, he was to study it and make a report. He also included in that what we call the allopaths, which at the time those allopathic physicians, I think they got their name from giving opposites. Opposites would uh, cure, like they would use mercury, say, to cure syphilis and create a whole other disease, and it doesn't even really get rid of syphilis necessarily all on its own. 
but they would use these poisonous things in gross doses, damaging people. But they also did a lot of good things. They would use herbs. So they were more eclectic, whatever the patient needs. But he chose them to, we're going to take these eclectic schools, we're going to put money into it, and we're going to put out the narrative that we're going to teach scientific medicine and all of this other stuff, other than these allopathic schools, everything that they were, because there were schools, like there were schools of homeopathy, schools of chiropractic, schools of osteopathy. What they're teaching is superstition. It's not scientific. So that is just hogwash nonsense. And what we're doing is really science. And right there, science lost all, because science is really just a method. It's not a teaching as such. It's a method of determining, oh, if I think I, I understand how something works, I have a theory, and I say, here's what I do to prove my theory, and somebody comes along and can do the same thing and prove it, then we can do it enough, we say it's a law. And even that could change. And a true scientist would say, yeah, that could possibly change. But anyhow, the science that J.D. Rockefeller created out of the Flexner Report, and I think it was finished in around 1910, totally changed the meaning of the word science. It was now whatever the establishment says, we want you to say that we say is science, that's it. So you have all these arguments over what is real science. And I would say the word has become almost useless other than to describe it as, like I said, a method. And uh, to say this is science and this, that isn't science, well, what science are you talking about? <laughs> so I think we're kind of in Jason's neighborhood with the Rockefeller and Flexner ideas. You want to jump in on this? Well, how about we talk about the fact that all schools of thought with medicine were completely discarded other than whatever Rockefeller and uh, I believe it was Carnegie got together and said, okay, this is it. And yes, it was the turn of the century, 1910-ish. And then by the time you get into the 20s, it's all gone. Everything is allopathic medicine. It's what we have today. And everything is about cutting and burning, as well as prescription medications that are primarily petroleum-based, which of course is right up John D. Rockefeller's alley, isn't it? And poisons. And I would say, actually, the real inception behind this goes before J.D. Rockefeller and the Flexner Report. And I know you're already aware of this. And that is Antoine Beauchamp, Claude Bernard, Gustav Enderlein versus those three who all thought alike, and Beauchamp was the original, versus Louis Pasteur and the Emperor of France. And this was in the 1850s. And at that time, we, that, that, you know, we had microscopes. We certainly didn't have electron microscopes and not even uh, the Royal Raymond Rice magnificent microscope. So we didn't know what viruses were, but they were looking at what's the cause of disease. And the germ theory got started with Louis Pasteur, who was a plagiarist, and he plagiarized Antoine Beauchamp. And Beauchamp, he would write papers. It's all in the French Academy of Sciences. There's a book by Elizabeth Hume, H-U-M-E, called Beauchamp versus Pasteur. Get it, read it. It'll blow your mind, everybody in the audience. And it shows you how Beauchamp would write an essay, send it to the academy. Pasteur would come along a month or two later, plagiarize it, and change it. I'll make it real simple what happened. Beauchamp said these microorganisms that we're seeing, they could see bacteria, and they don't cause disease, they accompany it. And they change. They're shapeshifters. I've been able to see them and track them and change them into different forms. Royal Raymond Rife came along with his magnificent 150,000 magnification extraordinary light microscope years later in the, I think it was the 30s and 40s, and proved exactly what Beauchamp said in even finer degree. So they showed that when you change the environment, what we say is not a pathogen, like we've got all kinds of bacteria in our bodies everywhere. We have all kinds of, we have viruses of all types everywhere. And what is a virus? That's a whole other subject. But anyhow, he showed that they would change their forms if you change the environment, your internal environment, which is influenced by the external, and they would change their forms. So what's a, what was a normal inhabitant would change, and then we'd call it a pathogen and say it caused it. It didn't cause it. It's adapting to it. 
and trying to do its best. And if you want to kill it, Royal Raymond Rife came along and said, well, let's electrocute it rather than use poisonous drugs. With a resonant current, you'll explode it. And in and, and the order of a, a bacteria, let alone a virus, it does. they're so small, that resonant frequency doesn't take much. You can create one and explode it. In other words, if you had the flu virus in your body with a right frequency generator, if you tune it to that virus frequency, you'll explode it throughout the whole body. And with his machine, it would anybody within 1,500 feet of the machine would have the virus if it were in their body explode. It wouldn't hurt anything else. No other body cells at all. So the emperor of France, who owned the chemical companies, liked what Pasteur said was, you got this bug, we got to kill the bug, this germ. The germ now, see, became the enemy. Before, we didn't think of them even as enemies or what are they? But the germ theory got its start as this imposter through Louis Pasteur and the emperor of France who owned the chemical companies. Ah, good, we can use chemicals to kill these germs now that we're going to tell everybody is it's kind of like the germ was what became what in the past it was evil spirits <laughs> evil spirits are making us sick and they still are and they still are and i would i would say if you really get a deep understanding of course now you go into psychoneuroimmunology and consciousness creates matter and we can take off on a tangent there but i don't want to go there yet <laughs> but in any case that changed that set the stage for Rockefeller to come along and do the coup de grace and finally introduce the, quote, scientific medicine, the Flexner Report, scientific medicine, and we're going to educate everybody in this new faux science, fake science. So we're going to have to take a minute here to address the, how should I say this, the 911-pound gorilla in the room with regard to viruses. We've had a lot of people come on, doctors and other people that have basically endeavored accurately from my point of view to show that viruses do not exist as described, much less make us sick. So we're going to have to answer it because I know people are listening and we've mentioned the word virus a couple times. Uh, do you accept that viruses make us sick or that they exist as they describe? Neither. They don't make us sick. We make ourselves sick. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that didn't go another way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you're healthy and well, you don't make yourself sick. And you can look at I've my whole life. I've been around I'm exposed to people virtually every day for uh, over half a century. Sick people and almost never made myself sick. <laughs> and you need to be aware of body, mind, spirit, and keep them all in balance. But no, the viruses don't make us sick, and they're not what, what we've been told they are. Let's go back to 1917 with Rudolf Steiner, anthroposophy. And he, we had just begun to be aware of viruses. And we were, doing, we were doing germ warfare research way back then. Anyhow, he said, we discovered there were such things as viruses, we say. And... Um, he said, well, what is a virus? He says, it's simply a, a breakdown product of anything that's breaking down in your body. It will produce fragments that we call viruses. And he says, the reason this is happening so much right now, 1917, and the great flu epidemic, et cetera, we just introduced a huge change on the planet through electricity. And it is, our body is being bombarded with these, these electric waves. and Breakdown products, are, are we see these as viruses from the electricity, 5G now. So that's a, a quick answer to what, what uh, viruses are and aren't and what so, makes them sick. So I got to echo this because I know people are thinking it. There's a relatively modern movie called Johnny Mnemonic, which verbatim encodes and echoes the idea <laughs> that Dr. Bender just expressed when Johnny Mnemonic finally, and by the way, this is a precursor. This is mm. foreshadowing what comes to be on 311 in 2020. Um, Johnny Mnemonic is one of the movies making the prediction. But they say, Johnny Mnemonic says, well, what the hell's making everybody sick? And Rollins, I think it's Henry Rollins, stands up and points at all the electricities and he goes, all this, what the hell do you think's doing it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a tell. <laughs> it's wow. a tell. Isn't that interesting that Hollywood, I'll use that for even beyond uh, 
L.A., Hollywood, the media. It seems the dark forces have to tell us what they're doing. <laughs> well, there is a thing about universal law or universal karma, and I think we've pretty much proven that you can't be forced against your will unless they put their weird loopholes in place where it's like, no, we're doing this to a piece of paper you're responsible for. But Jason, what do you want to get into? Do you want to do light thing, laser thing, herbal thing? Let's finish up with the uh, possibility of Covidius minimus only being, or primarily being, an effect of electromagnetic bombardment. Is that kind of what you were getting at before, Dr. Bender? Yes, I was mentioning that as one of the, I think there's many, many causes, but certainly the 5G has been demonstrated over and over. All the Gs are bad, but the 5G is a step beyond what we've had before. But it's not the only thing that's making people sick, of course, but it's a big one. It's huge. And everybody needs to become astute and uh, sophisticated about what 5G is, how it functions, and what can I do to protect myself, my loved ones, and the world. And of course, ultimately, we, got, we should stop it, must stop it. But what they're calling COVID, they stop recording any, nobody has flu anymore, nobody has pneumonia. Pneumonia was always known as the old person's friend among doctors. We always say, yeah, pneumonia is the old person's friend. That was how uh, Walter Russell died, even though he predicted his death way in advance, 20 years in advance. I've seen the letter he wrote to Ruby Altizer Roberts, who was a poet laureate of Virginia that he knew for many decades, and he told her he would die on his birthday when he first met her long before the 20 years, but 20 years before he sent her this uh, card where he said, I'll, I'll die on my birthday 20 years from now. And it happened exactly, which I could go into, wow, a whole bunch of stuff on that. But in any case, we need to understand how to keep ourselves healthy. We can't be eating poisons, GMO foods, drinking fluoridated water on and on. And we certainly shouldn't be taking, in my opinion, in my knowledge, not just opinion, it's based on knowledge, any of the allopathic drugs that are, they all have side effects. And I always tell people, those aren't side effects, they're effects, because they're all poisons. And we need to be thinking properly. When we are fearful, and everything that's being done with COVID is to create fear, when we're fearful, we drop our immune system down, we start hammering it. And we make ourselves sick, <laughs> not the COVID, and not even the balarney, the lies that we're being told. It's because we're not aware that it is a lie, and just say, come on, I, I see through this, and I'm not frightened. And knowledge, if you're afraid of anything, I always say, ask yourself, what is it? And you must face it, and when you face it, your fear will disappear like a will-o'-wisp, and like the mist in the morning dew when the light shined on it. It will go away and creates courage. Knowledge creates courage, which gives the ability now to act with vigor and stop this madness certainly and start within yourself stop the madness it is like being born again and seeing with new eyes when you know to the core of your being that uh germs and touching others is not what makes you sick it's a bit like when i realized that the motion of this place we exist is nothing like the reality that it is you become stable you become stronger and I guess you could call it fear just leaves you. It dissipates entirely. Well, I wanted to mention, too, the vaccines. And I'm an expert there. And my expertise is based on uh, following two quick things. One, I had the first case in history to ever sue the drug companies for vaccine-induced brain injury, i.e. autism. You had the first case? When was this? 1974. I'm sure there were cases, because we've been doing vaccines for way, way back. But it was the first case ever filed. And it was a little Hannah. She was brought to me by her parents when she was 14 months of age. The allopaths gave her two months to live. They said she'd be dead in two months. They called it an idiopathic, which means we don't know what caused it, brain disease. Well, she was autistic, full-spectrum autism. They had to feed her with a tube. She couldn't swallow. She was a total vegetable. And I figured it was the vaccines. And they said, we don't know what caused it, and she'll be dead in two months, and just accept it. So they brought her in, and I said, well, it's the vaccines. And I treated her with my, quote, 
I'd say my real medicine, the allopaths would say quackery, homeopathy and herbal medicine, and had them clean up their diet a little. They were already somewhat on that path. And within a month, I had her eating without the tube. They didn't have to feed her with a tube anymore. And ultimately, she had virtually a full recovery. Nobody would have known there was anything the matter with her. The last contact I had, she was seven years old with her and the family. Nobody would have thought there was anything the matter with her. She was totally functioning mentally, physically, emotionally. How, how did you draw the line? You mean, how did I fix her? How did I cure her? <laughs> how did you realize cause? Oh, because she'd had the vaccines. And I already realized that vaccines were dangerous because the whole history of vaccines, if you go back and examine it, which I had, old homeopaths, old naturopaths would call it vaccinosis. Vaccinosis is a vaccine-induced illness. And all vaccines create an illness. No exceptions. They all do. And most doctors, even homeopaths or naturopaths, may not realize, I did, that when you're seeing anybody, you always have to consider vaccines. And you may have to antidote them. And that maybe somebody will come in and their eczema or their asthma is from vaccines. Because that's where... Their immune system, their weak link, allowed them to be struck most by it. But it's affecting their whole system. And if it goes to the brain and the nervous system, the deepest part of your body, you know, full-spectrum autism like little Hannah, then you're really messed up. But any vaccine creates an illness. So right away, I said, well, yeah, she got the vaccines. And it was within two weeks. She uh, went in. She had a real high fever, went into opisotinus where... The nervous system is so inflamed, her head's all jerked backwards. And so they, they didn't, of course, they're not going to say it was the vaccines. They knew it even then, in my opinion. And that's just an opinion. I don't have any proof other than they've known the vaccines. They've never proven they were safe, ever. So even then, they knew there was no proof they were safe. And they did know, they had to know, some of those doctors at least, that they were dangerous and could do that. So that's why I drew, that's where I drew the line. I thought, yeah, this is vaccines. So Dr. Bender, what I'm going to do is wrap up uh, hour one. And then when we come back, we're going to open up uh, with your knowledge and uh, understanding of the vaccines that are basically going worldwide right now. But that does bring episode 310 to a close we hope you'll join us at crow777radio.com for hour two c-r-r-o-w 777radio.com again when we come back we're going to pick up as one of the first things we touch on will be the current vaccine which is meant to be worldwide it's meant to be for everybody and in light of what you heard from so many of our guests and again here by dr bender you gotta at some point step back and ask why is this so important but join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
Wolfenknowing.